What's up, everybody? This is Lisa Fields, founder and president of the Jew Through Project, and this is six highlights from the Jew Through Project for 2022. Number six, the unspoken documentary in partnership with DLC Media. Number five, the Juneteenth documentary in partnership with Our Daily Bread. Number four, our Right Now Media series Through Eyes of Color. Number three, our Courageous Conversations curriculum. Number two, our Courageous Conversations Conference 2022. And number one, Problematic Passages featuring Dr. Esau McCauley and Dr. Joe Vitale. We've had an incredible year. I mean, God has done some amazing things that have caused growth and we have reached millions across the globe with your help. Help us continue the mission and the vision of the Jew 3 Project at Jew3Project.org. We need your help to help people reimagine faith through apologetics. Every gift helps equip and help us to expand in 2023. Grace and peace. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And it's been a long time since I recorded a podcast back in August, uh, but I needed a break. Um, and I thought it was no better person to bring on than my good, dear friend, uh, Mr. BJ Thompson, who's been on here several times before, or should I say coach? That's it. That's uh welcome uh bj uh thank you for joining us how Good. are you doing thank you for having me so excited i mean i used to be on the jew three podcast all the time and um yeah it's just it's great to be back great to be home and i'm excited about what's going on in the season of life and i can't wait to have this dialogue with you today awesome you're on here to talk about your new book i have it right here all right waking a better two yes uh, yes uh, for the new year, it's no better time than to awaken a better you. This comes out everywhere on January 10th. Um, so by the time this airs, this might have already been out. I'm not sure when it'll, when the team will post it, uh, but it'll be somewhere close to the date. For those who don't know who you are, before we get into the book, just tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a Dallas native, not a cowboy fan or hater. Um, I'm the oldest of three. My mother had me at the age of 17. My father left school in the 10th grade. And the very foundation of my life was trying to navigate navigate difficulty uh, and doing it with no guides. And so, you know, I really enjoyed, um, you know, some of the tensions that I experienced growing up. But it wasn't until I left from my environment an hour away to go to University of North Texas, where I met my wife, Anjad, I realized that I had only learned how to survive. I did not know how to thrive. Um, and so many of the life skills and just the thoughts and the ideas, I just like, I don't have any of these things. And it felt like I was completely starting over, yet I had already been, you know, of age and it was supposed to be equipped up to this point. So much of my work as a coach has been teaching people the practical steps um, that lead to thriving, um, the plans, the awareness, um, the emotional intelligence and all these different things in a very integrated but healthy way. So, yeah, no, that's helpful. 
So we want to talk about kind of the book, uh, Four Simple Steps to Create the Life You Want, Awaken a Better You. Tell our audience, like, what was the motivation for you writing this book? Yeah, so my motivation for writing the book was I felt like a lot of the time that I was discovering myself and discovering how to live fully in the areas of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, professionally, I felt like it was always jumbled up, right? So it's like you get into these places and you either focus on one area, like the spiritual, but you don't know anything about the other areas, like the mental, or you deeply invested in the mental, but you don't know anything about the physical. And so it felt like there was always these little pockets of thoughts and ideas and none of them were clear enough, right? I'm, you know, my family's from East Texas. We grew up on red dirt. Did y'all grow up? Because I know you guys are from Florida. Have you ever eaten red dirt before? No, I'm from a better dirt? state. Huh? No. Okay. No. All right. I'm from a Anywho. better state. <laughs> so my family's from the country. And so when, you know, when I think about it, so much of my upbringing was just simple. But when I got to my adult life and needed to learn these skills, they seemed so all over the place and so complex. And so I wrote the book because I realized that oftentimes what we need is not this like um, overwhelming, you know, amount of motivational quotes. We need simple but meaningful, practical steps that work in the real world. So that's essentially why I wrote the book. No, that's that's super helpful. And I want to stay on there that because we We've talked a lot about compartmentalization in our conversations, just uh, in friendship. Um, But the fact is a lot of Christians compartmentalize and their spiritual growth to them is divorced from every other aspect of their lives. And they feel like if they're doing their morning quiet time, then they're healthy. How do we get Christians to understand that health holistically is more than just the time you spend with God in the mornings? Yeah, I think it's a challenge. I I mean, I think first you got to know that God made everything, right? There's a, um, there's a, people love to quote this uh, quote by Abraham Kuyper. It says that there's no square inch of the universe that Jesus didn't say mine to, right? And I don't know why when we, we, you know, when people repeat that quote, they don't think about like the oceans. They don't think about creation, like the nature, you know, birds and animals. They don't think about like their bodies. They don't think about the, the principles that govern every aspect of this world that creates the order. And I, I think one of the things is, you know, I love that even Jude 3, Jude 3 talks about a heresy, right? Um, and defending the faith. And one of the heresies is a thing called Gnosticism, right? And so again, if the audience is not familiar with that, Gnosticism is simply just a philosophy or thought or worldview that says, because my spirit belongs to God, anything can happen to my body, Mm -hmm. right? So I think a lot of times Christians just need to be taught that that's a very segmented way of living life. And then all you end up being is you end up becoming a poor, poor steward of yourself, right? So it's like mm-hmm. the, the strength, the muscles, the awareness, the potential that you have in your body, you never can really do it because you can't really be a good steward because you don't see it as important and you don't see it as something that's significant. And I just also want to give a caveat because I think that when we do talk about bodies, it feels like we're often only talking about 
abstinence and sexuality and kind of reading whatever Paul has said about, you know, your body's a temple. Don't unite your body as a prostitute with a temple. But it's like, yo, but he also says exercise is a benefit as well, right? And so I think that what Christians have to realize is that God is both the Lord over your soul and your spirit and your mind. And he's really calling you into bringing all of these things into order, which is going to take discipline, which is going to take new habits and which is going to ultimately lead us to a new sense of peace and awakening. Mm -hmm. No, that's helpful because we can't have better relationships with people until we are whole our relationships are only going to be as good as our own emotional healing and wholeness. And it really is a reflection on your relationship with God, because I was telling somebody the other day, your relationship with God is only as good as your relationship with other people. Mm. So if your relationships with other people are fragmented and disjointed and chaotic, that's really a reflection on your relationship with God, because to the degree that which you love people is what you how much you really love God because you can't love the God who you can't see and not love the people who you see every day. Good. And, and, and Lisa, I love that you're saying you got to look for, they call it um, signals. You got to look for correlating signals. The signals are not just what you feel in your faith. The signals are, well, how healthy is this, you know, with other people? Is it always, am I always in attention with others? Does it feel like I'm trapped in my body? Does it feel like these areas where, you know, my past um, comes up that I keep closing the door? It's like these these signals, these things are really the things that should be reminders to us or sometimes indicators. Hey, this area needs work. Right. And I think the thing I want to say, especially for those who are watching, when there's an indicator that comes up unexpectedly. Right. Let's say something comes up from childhood or let's say something comes up in health. It's okay to admit that something's wrong, right? You don't have to default to the world is broken. You don't have to default to Marinetha and you kind of ready to hit eject from this life to be with the Lord. What you can do is just say, I want to bring shalom, peace, or order back into my life. And what that may mean is not spiritualizing it, but um, actualizing and practically using tools to go, I want to restore order where there is, I mean, I want to restore order where there is chaos. Mm -hmm. And so I think that part of this is like, some of us is, some of us are, we struggle with humility because we cannot admit that we need help, right? Mm -hmm. um, not the soft voice humility, because you know, Lisa, there's this, I whisper, if I talk really sweet, it's <laughs> really low. Yeah, I understand, I just really love it. It's like, well, that's not humility. That's you like emulating what you think humility looks like. Humility happens when there's clearly an area in our lives that we are clearly not growing in and clearly not flourishing in. And instead of us trying to blame others and say it's their fault, we say, I want to take ownership. But I don't just want to take ownership. I want to do something about it. And again, this is why we took, I wrote this book is because I wanted people to know once they take ownership, what are some of the practical steps they can take in order to see healing and transformation? No, I think that's so that's so good and um, so well said. What was the most difficult and challenging part of this book for you to write? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think the most difficult part of this book, I, I write a part about my family, 
and I write about my, I had an encounter when I was five, I, I saved my brother's life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how much that one event um, shape, has shaped most of my life. And, you know, as you, if you sit in there, you're kind of thinking like, man, I, I think this has a played a role, but you don't really know because this is just your life. This is just who you have been. And so I think it's just as I was writing this book and putting together this story, I started to realize almost every chapter of what I have done has been the result of, of at, at one point, this unconscious trauma. And I wouldn't have called it a trauma because, you know, and I'll let you guys, you know, I'll, the juicy parts are in the book, right? Um, but when I saved his life, it wasn't this long, drawn-out thing. You know, it took less than 20 minutes. But that less than 20-minute moment in history, in my young five-year-old life, set the tone for literally every other aspect in how I operated. And so I think that the difficult part is admitting that, um, going back and being honest and correcting some of those things, um, acknowledging where there was good that came from it. Like there's, there are very healthy things. But then when you realize, you know, as you're like dialoguing about this trauma that shaped every part of you, you realize that in a lot of ways you were just scared, right? You just did not want to admit you were just scared. You were afraid. And now you're still living with the residue of that fear and it's lingering all over you, right? And so I think that was probably one of the most difficult parts is to own up to that and then to not villainize yourself because of you know, maybe it comes across as paternalistic or maybe it comes across as you got to save this complex or maybe it comes across like you always got to know the right thing. It's like all of these things that come out of this thing, taking ownership and saying, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not my fault. I did not create the scenario. Right. That led to me experiencing trauma in this occurrence. Right. Because sometimes we are the ones who create the trauma, we go out and find the train wreck of trauma in our lives. And we are, we do, we go create the trauma, right? But this was not my fault, but it was my responsibility. Once it became a clear indicator, BJ, this is something that is a thread Then I needed to start to, to do the work to heal and to transform and develop myself. Yeah. And that's, that's so important that do doing the work, um, and I think a lot of us don't like to do the work because mm -hmm. the work is not glamorous. It requires the very difficult conversations. It requires going back and digging up things that are difficult. And sometimes we mask these things by hyper-spiritualization. Right. We mask these things by present relationships. But I, I can even speak for me during this season uh and within the last year, me just being more intentional in my own personal devotion um, with the Lord. I remember one day just being there and saying, God, what in me needs to change? What what do you want? And asking him to search my heart. And he brought like five people to mine. And wow. he was just like, go call them and fix it. And so 
the reality was, yes, I was being diligent in my devotional life. I was trying to get deeper in my connection with God, but God reminded me, hey, there's no work with me that's devoid of some uh, repair in certain relationships. And I think sometimes we like to just say, man, I'm good with God. Spend it I, left, God. I left it at the altar. You go run around the altar. <laughs> yeah. You leave and, it at the altar. And God is like, that's not how, yeah, that's not how I work. You literally have to go back. And even where you thought you were wrong, you have to go back to those situations and be a peacemaker when you don't want to be. And that takes a lot of, that takes us humbling ourselves. And when I did it, I didn't realize how much weight was on me that I didn't even know was on me until I had those conversations. Good. Lisa, I love that, that this idea, what you're saying, like the healing came when you move by faith. Too many times we want faith that is the substance of our intent, not the manifestation of us putting effort towards moving the ball forward. And I love that you're saying that. This is why I wrote this book, right? I find that people I know in faith, they got such a large chasm between healing and practical life and there's their inner healing that you never really see full inner healing because they're not integrated. Right. And so that integrated means like, I'm actually stopping to do the work. So case in point, there are people who I know who have high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Right. And they are people who are filled with the spirit, Holy ghost, you know, speaking tongues, they do all the things, right. That's fine. But they don't see the correlation of their faith and their habits, right? Jesus said it's not what you necessarily what you put in your mouth that makes you devout is what comes out. But then he also said there is a correlation, right, between what you put in, like where the seat of affections are. And so it's like, I need to see these things. This is why he says, when you fast. So it's interesting that the Bible has built into it this level of like discipline, structure, order, as it even relates to what we consume. It's like when you fast, that means that I have the ability to pause, to say God is enough, and I'm going to put bring structure and order into my life that's a reflection of my love from him. But again, if you are winging it and you're not telling the truth, saying I don't know, right? Again, it's that humility, right? And I, and I want to specifically say it's humility, not humiliation. It's the humility that says, I don't know because I've tried and it's not working. That then you go ask for help from people who have what we call, Lisa, proof of concept. That just basically means that the person who is giving the instruction has done in real life consistently the thing that you're seeking to do. Okay. And they've done it successfully over and over. And so think about what that does to a body. Think of what that does to a person is that now I'm looking at these different areas because we all have areas of need. We all have areas where we've gotten stuck. We all have areas where we have to grow. When I start slowing down and start saying, yes, I may be good in these areas, but these other areas I need to grow in. Now we all posture ourselves in these humble ways, 
not humiliation, humility. Now what it does is it makes us more interconnected to one another. Now we no longer just have integration within ourselves, right? It's not just integration with you. It's now how I connect to other people around me and how I trust them. I lean on them as a necessity, not as a utility. No, that's, that's, that's good. Cause I mean, I, I was listening to a lecture. I was at a, a conference in Vancouver, uh, a month ago and the man said something in his lecture. He said the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is using someone, mm. using them as a utility. And I thought that was interesting because people think the opposite of love is hate, but it's use. And we, we use people we don't love them when we use them to your point as utilities um and it's hard for us to go from using people to loving people because if we if we think about it our love for people is a reflection of our love for god mm. and so if we're just using god as a utility then it's a good chance that we're using people as a utility as well and we if we only go to god for help but we don't actually love him we don't actually want to be around him and spend time with him. We know we're using God as a utility when time with God is, a, is very difficult for us outside of making a request that we need something from God. And so if, we, if we're responding to God in that way, it's a good chance that if we evaluate our circle, that we may be using them as utilities yeah. as well. And, and at least I love that, you know, even there's this correlation between God and what we do with others. But then I, I think that oftentimes we're poor steward of ourselves, period. So it's kind of, that's the thing is, is we are not well, we are not whole, we are not flourishing. And so, you know, when the Bible says, love God, love your neighbor and then love your, your neighbor as yourself, it's like, there is this thing that we, we're having to do this juggling act intention to become the person that we are. And so, you know, even in this journey, we, as you go through the chapters of Awaken a Better You, I'm constantly talking about the tension. And you want to just camp out on an area of life and say, if I can get this area of life, that's it. Well, no, that's just one area. <laughs> it's not the like, that's not the point. It's not just all of the things you need. It's just an area. It's not the life that you need to live. And so I think that that's kind of the juggle is we're constantly doing this so that we can, again, be faithful. We can awaken ourselves. I grew up in South Dallas. I grew up around a lot of tension, violence, I mean, people, good people, hardworking people. But also, I grew up around a lot of criminality. And so I always grew up with my head on a swivel. I was not ever sure what was going to happen day to day, moment to moment. Anything could happen, right? And what I realized about it was that part of the reason why people respond like that is because there's really not a, um, you don't even know what life looks like outside of this, right? So it's, it's some of it's just like, you just have never seen it before. You don't know. And then... The other part of it is you may not have the tools or the resources or the know-how to empower yourself to develop these God-given things you already possess. 
so that you can live the life you always known you were supposed to live, but don't understand how to do it. And so, you know, whether you grow up in the hood, the suburbs, a rural community where there's one stop light, y'all do a, a, a picnic every year, y'all do a whole little town train, you know, thing where, you know, the carnival, y'all go to the carnival here, whatever it is, we all come from places that created limitations in our lives. And because of that, it's not until you get into um, differences of people with differences that you start to see, oh my gosh, I don't even understand where to start, right? And so again, as you as we get to these places and we talk about relationships, even as we talk about utility, I also want to be careful to recognize that we also want to be looking for specific expertise in individuals, right? So me looking for a carpenter um, and I hire a plumber or I hire you know, somebody that, um, that does lawn, you know, done landscaping. I don't want to hire a landscaper to do my carpenting, right? Now, that's not me using them as a utility, <laughs> but I do recognize that they, they specifically possess a certain level of gifts and talents that will allow me to be able to accomplish the thing that I need to accomplish in the season, right? The same for us. We want to we want to seek out counsel, coaches, and guides that have what we call proof of concept, and they are specialists in the area. This is why I took so much time writing this book, Lisa. This book took me 20 years to write, okay? And it didn't take me 20 years to write because that's how, that's, that's how long the literary process takes. It took me 20 years to ensure that this actually works for real people's lives. Right. So I had to see it work with individuals. I had to see it work with couples. I had to see it work with families. I had to see how it worked in communities. What happens when you print, when you employ these principles with people and how do they influence and impact one another? That's why it took me so long to write. But now that I've written it and now that we have coach, I probably have coach easily more than 10,000 people. Easily, probably way more than that at this point. Right. Now that I've gotten to this point, I'm just starting to see. If you only knew these quiet things that happen in every area of life, you too could awaken the person that's inside of you. And that's a good place, I think, to end it, to promote the buy another Okay, group. buy another <laughs> This is why you need to buy Awaken a Better You so you can make this year one of the best years of your life. I never want to say that this year would be the best year of your, of your life because I feel like you still have more life right. to live and you want your lives. You, you want different years to, to be, to be, you want each year to be better than the last. Um, it doesn't always work like that, but we don't want to say this will be the best year, but this will be one of your better mm -hmm. years. If you do the work, That's right. you have to do the work and the work isn't just going to therapy. Therapy is a part of the work, but a good therapist will tell you that the work really happens after That's the right. session that you have to take the principles and apply it. Just like going to church, the work really happens after you leave church. You got to apply what they tell you. And so in every instructional space, whether it's church, whether it's therapy, whether it's reading this book, you're going to have to read the book. But actually, after you read the book, go do the work and do the work within looking and reflecting on things and areas in your space you need to change. And then it's going to look like doing the work with people. You can't avoid the work. 
Um, and so this is going to challenge you to do the work. And this will be a good year if you do the amen. work. Anything else, BJ, you would like to add? No, amen. And I would just say thank you for the Jude 3 Project. Also, if you want to find me, you can find me at Twitter, at BJ116. Um, you can also go to my website if you want to see order the book. Um, it, there, it's available everywhere, but you can go to bj-thompson.com uh, um, and you can find my work there. I would love to just dialogue and chat with you. Yes, and this book is everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, excuse me. This book is everywhere that books are sold. Um, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project. Remember here at the Jew 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And if you want to continue to help the mission and the vision of the Jew 3 Project, you could do so by going to Jew3Project.org and hitting that donate tab. You could either give by mail or you could give online. Every gift helps equip. We remember we have our curriculums. Our latest curriculum is Courageous Conversations. Um, you could get that on our website as well as take the online course. It's a video series that I put together um, that goes along with this that'll help you to grow in your faith and knowing what you believe and why you believe it. We have the documentary Unspoken that's available on Amazon Prime um, and you can find out everything on our website again Jew3project.org on all social channels at Jew3project. Until next time, grace and peace and God bless. What's up everyone, Lisa Fields here, and I'm so excited about our new curriculum, Courageous Conversations. You heard about our popular conference, Courageous Conversations, where we invite the leading pastors, thought leaders, and scholars from conservative and progressive backgrounds for conversations. But we not only want to have those conversations on stage at the conference, but we want you to have them in your everyday life. So we developed a curriculum for you to do just that. Courageous Conversations curriculum, the tools you need for the conversations and culture. You can get that today on Amazon or on our website at Jew3Project.org. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.Jew3Project.org. Com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.